nice having everybody suddenly available. <laughs> yeah, um, no, we're all we're all captive somewhere right now. So yeah. yes, yeah. And then with you in Seattle, how long have you been inside? <laughs> we've well, we've been like school and everything has been out since I think the twelfth of March. So you know, and then we're we're on one until May fourth. So we're basically going to be, you know, for argument's sake, two months. Yeah. And, um, you know, we went to some of the strictest, because obviously we were an early hotspot. And uh, so we went to some of the strictest, I think, that there are. You know, we, we pretty much closed movie theaters, malls. Everything has been shut down, but gas stations, takeout food, um, and grocery stores. Yeah. And medical, obviously, still open. But if, it, if, you're, if you don't fall into that category or a few other essential businesses, it's the party's been over for quite some time. Well, I know that at least everybody in the softball community, it's it's tough because this was kind of the the exciting part where everything's really starting to it's get all up. New getting, still. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but we did get to see a little bit um, of what teams are starting to look like, starting to form. So was is there someone that you're really looking forward to watching once all this dies down and we're able to get back out on the field? It's a great question. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I, I, I have the privilege of being on both sides, the men's conference and the women's conference. Less on the men's now, but obviously still with my with me being with Easton, you know, I get out to watch Brett's teams and a lot of the Easton teams. So the young players on the men's side, uh, they're coming so quickly now, which I think is interesting. So when I left the men's side, there was a lot of folks, you know, that had been at the top level for 10 years, 12 years. And maybe you saw one or two players kind of break in. You go, oh, that's, that's an interesting prospect. Now you go to the field and you're like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? Where'd they come from? Where'd they come from? And, you know, you, you even saw last year at the Major World Series, you know, a Daniel Caton kid, you know, to me really kind of came out of nowhere. It was one of the better players on the field. Um, you know, you, you've, you've seen stuff like that where now, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the name on the back. You know, I think a lot of the sponsors who for a long time, and I think we even see that in Major League Baseball. You wonder sometimes, how come this guy's still no, still on the team that's hitting 228? And you hear coach, coaches will say, oh, I know him. I trust him. He's been around. Now you, you look at the, a lot of the top clubs, and you just see young players up and down their lineups. Um, you know, on the, on the men's side, I don't know if there's a single person that I would say that I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what I'm excited about when we get back to the field is just the level of, of the new young talent that's coming, uh, up and down. And, and the same thing we're seeing on the women's side, you know, the interesting part about the women's side is for years, we were a, a, uh, kind of enamored on the men's side about, Oh, he or she, or he played minor league baseball, or he played top level division one or got, got drafted, you know, the Ryan Harvey's and. Casey Rogowski's and Don Dionatus Jr.'s and players like that that had had minor league careers. You know, Ryan, you know, with a, a first-round draft pick, a guy like Casey Rogowski who spent 11, you know, years and like eight or nine of them at AAA. You know, players like that that, that uh, came out. Now what we're seeing now on the women's side are former national team members, you know, the USA national team members. We're seeing players out of UCLA and Florida and Alabama and LSU that are coming straight over. Um, I have players right now currently on the women's national team, which unfortunately is shut down from our craziness, who are already talking about, hey, what's my conversion to slow pitch when, when this was over? We had girls that were talking to us about, you know, okay, the Olympics, when the Olympics are over at the end of this summer, I'm not sure what my, you know, what my playing career looks like, but I think slow pitch is in the future. That's not something that we would have heard 
a decade ago, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the creation of the Women's Conference. Um, and I think, you know, to me, it has something to do with the creation of the women's national slow pitch team. So I think it's been an effort from the two biggest associations, both to identify and, and say, hey, these, these young ladies want to play from the time they're four until they're 80, just like the men do. And I think we've seen that in a lot of sports. But to me, that's been the most exciting part of this whole journey is just to watch that, to see where it was rare to see one one or two girls out of a big time college. Now the top teams are scattered with girls from those and girls from smaller colleges that just didn't have that opportunity that are great athletes. You've been a part of conference for so long. You've really got to see that evolve, not only on the men's side, but especially on the women's side, that taking leaps and bounds. And then also from the side of that manufacturing, let's talk a little bit about all the way back when that's something that you got involved in. That's not something that I feel like you say, that's what I want to do someday. How no, do you get no. involved in that? Yeah, softball wasn't something I would have thought I would have ever actually been involved with, to be honest. So um, I, I, I was, I love baseball. Baseball was my passion uh, growing up as a sport. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't as good at it as I wanted to be. Um, football came really easy for me. Uh, obviously, those of you who have met me, I'm not the smallest person that's ever walked in the room. So obviously, I just get, you know, get got shoved towards football and played it and loved it, but not like baseball. Baseball was my true legitimate passion of anything in, in my life. Um, and uh, when it was baseball was coming to an end after school and and uh, I was actually rehabbing from a football injury. And some of my buddies were like, hey, you want to come hit slow pitch? And I'm like, I'm never going to come do that. It's the dumbest thing in the history of the world. Um, and a week or two went by and they're like, come hit with us, come hit with us. And I'm like, why? So finally, one day there was nothing else to do. I went and hit with them and I was horrible. And I'm like, how can this be this hard? You are literally throwing a great big round beach ball to me <laughs> underhand. I should be able to do whatever I want. And it baffled me that it was hard. I mean, it, it really did. And, and I hadn't, you know, I'd played a little tiny bit like in a picnic or something, but never took it seriously, never, never looked at it. So it then became a quest of almost like a pride thing where there were guys that I was out there hitting with who in other sports growing up, I'm like, dude, you're horrible. And I'm dominated you and everything. And right now I look like I have two left feet and two left hands. So that's really how I started. And then it became a quest and I fell in love with it. Um, and I started playing uh, really competitive church ball um, for some great church teams out of the Northwest. And, and then uh, I came to my, I came to a major tournament and, I didn't know the, the difference between E, D, C, B, A major. I didn't even know there was. I thought you just played in a tournament. So I played maybe maybe in seven or eight tournaments. And there was a, a Seattle major NIT up here. Um, and everybody said, well, this is the major NIT teams are coming in from out of the country. And I'm like, well, are we going to play in it? They're like, dude, we'll get killed. I'm like, well, why would we get killed? It's same thing, right? Well, no. So, I mean, I never had seen it. So I, I go to the park and go to the home run. I actually went to the home run derby and I'm like, okay, this is a little different beast. And then sat there and watched it. I, I think I watched every game that I could stay there for the championship game on, you know, through Sunday. And this is back way, you know, you were negative five when this occurred. So, um, you know, it was, this is back in the steels days and, and the folks that were here. And, and I, as soon as that left town, I was like, okay, I need to do that. I mean, this is what I have to do. So that became my kind of my, my new mission. And it took me on a really weird journey that I never thought would happen. Um, long, a really long story short, a couple of years later, I was lucky enough to get signed by Worth. Um, Tim Lord, Robert Parrish took care of me at Worth um, for a long time. I was there for, for a long time as a, as a player, then a, then a coach. And 
uh, one of their engineers called me one day and I, and I had started doing bat testing for him where we had actually done durability testing. And this is way before composites. This was on aluminum and aluminums into the hybrid aluminums into PSTs. So we'd kind of develop a field testing stuff. So I'd gotten to know the, the engineers pretty well working with them back and forth. One of the engineers calls me and says, Hey, how'd you like to start a bat company? I'm like, okay, dude, quit drinking on the job. You know, no, no, seriously, I want you to, we should start a bat company. I'm like, yeah, why now? Can we start an airline while we're at it? We just fly back and forth. He's like, no, I'm serious. We should start a bat company. I'm like, how are we doing this? Um, and he goes, well, <clears throat> long story short, we, we got, you know, we've been bought out. I said, yeah, I, I've heard that. I've seen all this paperwork and whatnot. And he goes, there's a plant up in Canada who, if you've ever noticed all these bats that we've been sending to you for the, like the last six or eight months, say, are come from Canada. I'm like, yeah, I think I kind of noticed that. Didn't really pay a lot of attention. He goes, well, <clears throat> they're not going to have anyone to build for it because the company that just bought us has their own plans. So let's go, let's go up there and talk to them and, and start a brand. And I'm like, Higgs, I think we're way out over our ski tips here, but let's go. You know, I've never been to Ottawa. It'll be fun. It'll be a trip to Ottawa, Canada. Never been there. So we fly up to Ottawa. And we sit in a room and meet some nice people, look at a plant, talk to them, go back. And we were going to fly back out literally the very next morning. So we go back to the hotel room and Brian and I are sitting there and he's like, what do you think? I'm like, I don't know. This kind of, kind of sounds like a heck of an opportunity. Should we try it? And we decided to change our flights, went back and met with them the next morning. And about four months later, we took the first combats to battle at the battle of the bats or bat wars at that time at Disney. So it was a pretty much of a fast track um, deal. Uh, we got some family members together that were goofy enough to decide that, you know, hey, let's try this. And uh, we went after it. So we, we had a really good run. So we made some, some really good decisions. We made some really bad decisions, like anything like that. Uh, it seems like five lifetimes ago, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we were a bunch of young guys and gals and we put, we built a really good team um, of young people at that time. And, uh, the interesting part about that team is, is combat went down a path. We ended up selling the business. The business got resold a couple of times. A lot of, a lot of long stories there that'll bore everybody. But one of the things I think is cool about it is that team that got put together that basically brought combat up. Um, most of them are with Easton or with combat is what happens with, with acquisitions and so forth. And they were young players, but so many of them are still in the industry at very wow. high level, which I, I think is really neat. Um, you know, you've got Mike Dill with with uh, AD Star and Dix, you know, handling their balls, and Jason Kendrick, who, uh, you know, is, is in charge of Mike and um, teams, Mike and the worst players and teams. Ali Sartini, who was our very first fast pitch director, is the fast pitch director at Marucci. You know, it was her first job in the, in the industry as well. Todd Newton, still in the industry, in the ball business. Scott Brown, another U-Trip, we'll say, Hall of Famer. Um, he actually went off and started his own business after that, uh, PhD Sports up in in Minnesota, um, running training centers and actually is a U-Trip director. So it, it's interesting. And I know I'm missing some some other folks that that came through that. But it's it's interesting to me how many um, people that work there, Bobby Nifong's with Dudley, Tim Lord runs all of Dudley Worth. He actually came over from Worth. But long story short, is how many of those people that were in the, that space uh, that were young. A lot of them was their first jobs in that kind of arena. Some of them was their first jobs and that are, you know, 15 years later are still in the industry, still doing it. So that side of it, we honestly, Savannah found by accident. Can't tell you, you know, we went to school for, and this is what we were going to do. We found it by accident. What I think is so interesting for 
people who aren't involved on that side is for players. It's just, it's a lot of times just equipment. You know, it's just finding what works well, finding what's comfortable, you know, what, you know, feel like has great pop or whatever it is you're looking for. But on your side, when it comes to like what makes a great bat in those very early stages, what is that? look like especially that's a change so maybe at the time no they have changed they've changed you know from how we make them how we test them when i first came into the industry you know we didn't have testing even you know like we have now you know forget field testing lab testing has changed so much you know i go back to when it all you did is had to make it it had to be two and a quarter way less than this and be shorter than this and you go make it um and you know bat standards and and rule changes came into all all sports and and adapted to that so what I think takes it takes a, uh, to build a good product. And I don't, this isn't just bats. This is product as a whole is it has to be a collaboration and uh, that you have to, as a brand commit as much re- as, as much resources to R and D to field testing as you do to advertising, as you do to athletes. If you don't have a good product in this day and age, you're just left behind. It's a, it's a, I don't think it's just sports, right? I mean, if your phone sucks, you go buy a different brand. If your computer, your car, I mean, you know, with, with the way we communicate now, we talk about things. If you have a bad product, it doesn't take long for that to get spread virally and, and people, people know about it. So, you know, to me, it's engineers, it's players, it's being able to have communication back and forth between those engineers and players. Um, it's getting opinions. And one of the things that I, I run a lot of testing meetings and work a lot with our engineers and I, and I tell everybody on my favorite line, I know they're all tired of hearing this. Okay. There will be no pride in ownership today. And what I mean by that is engineers are super smart, super, you know, dedicated to what they do. Sometimes they will come up with a design and they'll send it. This is going to be the greatest bat you've ever swung. Okay. And we go and we hit it and we and I call them from the field. What do you think? It's probably the worst bat I've ever swung in my life. And you're you're breaking their heart because they've they've put a lot of work and time and effort into it. And some some deal really well with that. And they're like, dang it, okay, I'll I'll fix it. Other ones, well, no, it's gotta be better than that. Well, no, it's not. You know, we're out here. And conversely, we have to have an open mind sometimes. I remember the first time we tested composites and somebody sent it to us and it, it didn't make a sound. I'm like, these are the these are suck. Like, look how far the ball's going. I go, yeah, but you can't hear it. It feels weird. But they're like, well, look how far the ball's going. So even as a player, you know, we were used to hearing a ping. We were used to aluminum. We were used to that that sound. So, and we see that even, in, you know, like I said, away from bats. You know, you look at Easton's probably most successful product line right now um, is catcher's gear. And it's Jen Schro's catcher's gear. And it's catcher's gears designed all by females with Julie Burney, um, UCLA, you know, NCAA player who heads up our fast pitch, working, eliminating everybody's opinion that wasn't a female, that wasn't a female catcher, working with Gentro, who, you know, lives and breathes it and teaches it and has a following and basically gave her carte blanche to take every piece of input that she believed in, her students believed in. Um, It was a multiple year project. You know, it wasn't something that happened in two days, but we also saw that there were, we were tired of watching the female athlete use recycled men's gear that you threw a little trim, piece of pink trim on or you or you trimmed it a little different. But it wasn't really completely thought out for the female body. It wasn't completely thought out for all of those things. So two years later, lots and lots of money, lots and lots of engineers, lots and lots of, of trial and error. They've come out with stuff that from what I hear from female catchers, they love it. It's flying off the shelves. 
half the stuff they talked about in those meetings, I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. I'm surely not a female. I'm not never been a catcher. So it, it made all the sense in the world to take all the voices out of the room that weren't in that. Mm-hmm. That I think that exact concept of they're the engineers that create the product, but it's the players who decide how great it is or not. That for me was really neat being at a testing day one day for you guys at USSA, watching the engineers take statistical notes, you know, the velocity, how far it traveled, and then walking over to the player and then the player saying, well, this is what I thought. This is how I thought about the bat. That blew my mind of you have to balance those two things in order to make great products for sports. Absolutely. And and like, you know, peer performance drives a lot of things, but if the feel is horrible, you know, if it's a little stingy or, you know, we've had people will show them, Hey, your exit speeds two miles an hour faster with this. Well, I hate the way it feels. Well, but your exit speeds two miles an hour faster. I don't care. I want to swing this bat, even though it's two miles an hour slower. Yeah. I hate the way that bat feels. So, I mean, you have to find that balance. And and I think what we're seeing is it's not just in bats. It's, you know, we've taken on some huge projects here. The Gentro gear was one trying to become a better player in fielding gloves. You know, we, we're a great bat manufacturer, great bag manufacturer. There have been some other folks, quite honestly, that built better gloves than we did. Um, and that's been a, a long process over the last few years where we've brought in experts and and sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. Trevor Anderson at Easton, some of the folks that may see this have known him. He's our, he's our glove guru. Trevor had moved way beyond that in, within the company. And then we really took on this project and he volunteered. I'll go back. I'll go back five steps because I really have always believed with the right resources, we could you know, be a one-two glove company. And now our gloves are out there this season and the end of last season, this season, people are like, oh my God, this glove is equal to everything. But it took, again... You just couldn't say you were going to do it. You had to commit to it, put the right people on it, take input from players. I mean, he flew to tournaments, youth, little league, U-trip travel ball, slow pitch, listened to athletes, took hand molds. I mean, all the things that they did, you know, that people don't see behind, you know, behind the scenes. And that's one of the things that drives price, too. I get I get people ask me all the time, holy sakes, that's expensive. Well, you've seen a little bit of testing that goes on. Yeah. You know, and, the, and, and you know, that I know the exact day you're talking about, and there was multiple manufacturers there, and all that went into that, that was a few hundred thousand dollars spent that day mm-hmm. uh, between the manufacturers. We all kind of ponied up together to do it because that was to find a baseline for the new bat standard. And when you're bringing engineers in and flight scope in, and I mean, we brought in hundreds of dozens of balls because we could, we wanted to test every bat that we knew was made with every ball combination and athletes. And I mean, it sounds fun until you're there and you watch like the 9,000th person hit over five days and you're standing on that field and you're like, God, I got to be something better I can do with my life. Yeah, absolutely. That was wild to watch unfold just what it takes to go into that. And then, you know, equipment is drastically change as athletes yeah. are getting bigger stronger faster the equipment has had to adjust and a lot of that has been driven by safety um and just sure. keeping athletes safe trying to find that balance throughout the years talk to me a little bit about that because people don't necessarily like change <laughs> no i hate change and I, and I think and i think this is going to be a subject that goes forward over the next six months to three seasons um of change you know what we're going through right now with the coronavirus um, is going to change things. You know, I mean, I hear people go, I can't wait to get back to normal. Well, I think the, you know, the, the use of politicians terms, which I'm not, there's probably a new normal coming. And, and I think back to 9-11 and, you know, we were, I was literally at a, at a meeting headed to a field to take BP. 
we were taking BP and we were flying to Florida for the Worlds. We were going down. We used to play the ASA Super the one week and the U-Trip Major the next week. We were, we were there taking BP and the day that it happened. Well, we knew it was horrible, but you didn't understand it. And, hey, at that point in my life, you were young. All you were worried about was getting to Florida to play softball. And some, I remember a guy pulls him to, to take BP with us. Hey, all planes are canceled. What? No no flights are going. Nah, shut up. You don't even know what you're talking about. None of us, this is way before, grab your cell phone and look it up, right? Right. And by the time we got home and watched TV, we realized, hey, we're not going to Florida. This is way bigger than what it is. And from that time, air travel changed. You know, ticketing processes changed. IDs changed. I think what we're going to see with this is even a bigger change in some cases. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some folks at U-Trip in the last couple of days. I saw Don Dionatus the thirds do a couple of these and talk about things. I think he's right on point. The days of sharing batting helmets are probably gone. You know, uh, the days of water coolers in the in the dugouts that are shared water coolers are probably gone, um, at least in the short term, maybe forever, right? Um, handshakes after games. And, it, you know, <clears throat> having multiple, multiple, multiple people in dugouts that, you know, that aren't on the roster, aren't there even at the youth level where, you know, I think we're going to see a change in those, in those type of things. Um, and that's going to be something we all have to grasp and get back with. And I, so you're right. Change is very hard. We've seen it hard for people to adapt to new equipment. Um, and I think we're going to go through that cycle again here. So man, we're going to have people, what do you mean? I can't do that. What do you mean? Everybody has to have a batting helmet. What do you mean? I can't share this. What do you mean? There's no, you know, orange Gatorade jug in the, in the dugout for us to all get water off of you're being lazy no we just don't think it's safe knowing what we know now or for a while so i think this is just the beginning of our next cycle of change yeah the handshake one is one that we kind of got to see the resistance to when that was we were all still trying to play but yeah. wanting to start to be safe and that was the first ones that i feel like i started to see from a lot of different associations was hey no handshakes after games and I know a lot of us feel, well, like, that's our, like, you know, our last moment of sportsmanship or our last moment to connect with people on other teams that you know. And that's hard to give up those sort of things. Yeah, so I'm a little different. On the youth level, I'm a big fan of it. Mm -hmm. On the adult level, I, I fall in the category of I hate, I've always hated it because I think it's <laughs> hypocrisy. And I know there's a couple other people in the building that you work in that feel the same way as I do because I've always felt – I've always – I can tolerate a lot of things and I am a lot of things, but I've always tried not to be a hypocrite. And I think when you go through like great game, good job. And you just beat my ass all over the field. I don't mean that. I really don't mean that it wasn't a great game, you know? Uh, and I think the flip side, when you just got done pounding someone, they're saying it back to you and in your head, you're going, you don't really mean that. You don't really yeah. care. Maybe. So I think at the, at the youth level, it's a great thing to teach. And I, and I think we'll find something new. Like it was funny. We've had, I've had this conversation with a couple of associations this week is that maybe after the youth games, the teams are going to go to the back to their baseline and, and wave, you know, the old, you know, two, four, six, eight thing may happen again. Um, I don't know, but I think, I think those type of things we're going to have to be open-minded to, we're going to have to understand. Um, some people are going to think this is ridiculous. This is blown out of proportion. Um, and I think through this process, again, being from Seattle, where we started this, you know, we're a month into this already. I can tell you the first week and a half I was in the court. This is so blown out of proportion. This is so ridiculous. And then you've seen what's happened and you start, it, it's kind of become sobering in a way. And you go, okay, this isn't blown out of proportion. I do want to go back to play, but there's bigger things than this. 
Um, and now, now we're trying to wrap our head around what, what does that mean in a go forward? Yeah, absolutely. I know that we're all very excited for that time when we do get back out on the field. And one of the, the big things that's coming up this year, especially for USSA, is, you know, the 50th anniversary of the men's major. Yeah. Um, something that I've been asking a lot of people um, kind of leading up to this is, you know, what are some of your favorite you know, men's major moments, players that stick out to you. So I kind of wanted the same thing for you. Yeah. Some of maybe your favorite moments from the men's major. It's been neat. There are some people that are like, I remember going to the men's major as a kid. That yeah. has been really neat to hear those too. Not only. Yeah. So I have a few, I have a few with that. Um, the obvious ones I think when people talk about is when you win it. And although that, that means a lot to me, the, the, the couple of the moments that mean more to me than that, um, that may sound weird, but it means more than winning it to me because I, I, I've come at it from so many different levels, I guess, as a player, as a, as a sponsor, as a coach. Um, so it used to be almost impossible to get into. So we spent year after year after year one game short because you used to be on a birth system. And when you were a smaller budget team, you couldn't go chase every birth. So you would legitimately get three or four shots at it. And honestly, you knew you weren't going to win the tournament in most cases. And I think you didn't go in trying, but you were you were an underdog of an epic proportion every every weekend. Um, and as the season would wear on, the burst would trickle down. So you would go to a tournament and say, okay, if I can get into the third spot or the fourth spot here, we got the berth. Twice, we got to a point where we were tied for fifth in a tournament, and that was the spot that got it. And you played a one game, you played an extra game for the berth. And the two times I got to that game, I lost both of them. Wow. Gosh. So, so I had played for a long time before I ever got to the myth. I'd been to all the other associations. Hell, we were in the Elite Eight with ISA back in the day when there were four, but we hadn't got it. So the first time I ever got in, you know, was a was a big deal. Um, the other the other one for me was a season. It was um I think oh three. Um it was a weird year. We had lost a sponsor early in the year. Um, we bootstrapped it together with myself and another, another Jeff Dorcott came in and helped out. And Rob Fairweather came in and helped out. Worth helped out and we kept it going. And as the season went on, we were, we were a pretty good team and we kept playing well. We'd gotten our birth. We'd gotten our birth to everything. Well, then when we lost the sponsor, the rumors were, we're not going to finish the season. We're not going to finish the season. We're not going to finish the season. Um, a couple of our guys had gotten big money offers to go to other clubs. And I said, dude, I'm not going to hold you back. You know, go. We released them and let them go. And we picked up a couple of young guys and trudged, trudged through to the World Series and got to the World Series. And we were <clears throat> back then, you know, Gordy and everybody would, you know, pick the, do a mock bracket and would pick it. And I don't think anyone had us pick to win a game. You know, we were basically a bracket filler. And we ended up taking third. And we played our butts off. Um, I actually got married that year at Disney. And so we had a tons of fan, friends and family there. That team was so, I, I wouldn't say overachieved, but the kids played to a whole new level. We had a couple of veterans, uh, Dwayne Nevitt, who retired after that year, who just basically told us we were not going to lose. We were going to play, play till Sunday. That was, I'm not leaving my last world series without us getting there. And, and you know, really taught me how to, he taught me more in that season than I probably had learned in the 10, 
10 previous years about that. But that team, even though we didn't win it, I thought did everything we could. We played as well as we could play. The two games that we lost, we lost to teams that had 10 times the budget we did, were more talented than we, we were. We were in, but we were in both of those games. But we beat some teams that were, you know, we had no, on paper, we're never supposed to. And that team's always held a spot in my heart. The group of people that were, were on that team, there were some young players that got their first shot that are still playing now. Um, there were, like I said, some veterans. But, you know, to me, those are my two kind of in the dugout moments. Um, and then another one was when we first got broadcasted on CBS. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was a, a big step, you know, for us. And Bernie asking me to, you know, to be his color guy to that. Um, although it was scary, I'd done a lot of, you know, smaller internet broadcasting stuff at that time and ESPN3 and some ESPN2 stuff. But it was a little different to do, hey, we're going live on CBS. And uh, that time of the year, you know, we had NFL leads. So, you know, like we come in right after an NFL lead. And Bernie's talking about the SEC game they're televising, you know, on CBS the next day. And, you know, so to me, it was kind of a surreal moment you know, one to be calling that game. I knew every player on the field. I was you know, still in, actively involved. And then to be sitting there watching CBS feeds and having the CBS producers in your ear, it was, that was a very surreal moment for me. We actually have a picture of you and Bernie calling one of those games up on the wall in our office. Yeah, um, it was a, it was a cool experience. And like I said, it was, uh, I would say I wasn't a little bit scared the first time it was, you know, like that. I was like, this is odd, you know, it's not what I do. I, I know the feeling. I haven't got to do too many big gigs like that, but I've done two CBS games, CBS two, and that feeling of there are a lot of people watching right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you're, and, and for me, it was like, you know, you're talking about people on the field and you want to be authentic and be real, but you also know them. You know, it's like right. their mom's at home watching this, their wife, their child, whoever, you know, I don't, you know, you, you don't want to mess up a name. You don't want, you know, it's, you know, geez, I like to say he's a douchebag, but that'll probably come back to bite me. So I can't say that. <laughs> and so, I mean, you're, you know, it's, it was, it was odd. It was a cool experience. I loved all of them. I loved all the, you know, that was kind of the start of us doing that. And I still think um, there's a place for that. And I, and I think hopefully with, you know, with some of the things that are going on behind the scenes, we find our way back there again. Absolutely. Well, one of the last one of the things that I've we've talked a little bit about um, that you're super passionate about and what I found out talking earlier that you've always been passionate about is the equal opportunity for women in whether that's fast pitch, softball, slow pitch, whatever that may be. Um, and that started when Combat was a sponsor for not only the MPF, um, but the PFX tour. Tell me a little bit about that era and then how it yeah of, so the, how john senior made his way into it too i don't think a lot yeah, of people so the, the, know that the pfx tour i mean this with all due respect to the to the npf and everything that's going on i thought was the a great idea it was headed up by dot richardson who um is the head coach at liberty now wonderful lady she also runs uh fellowship of christians athletes ucla dual sport athlete played basketball and and fast pitch at ucla wonderful lady wonderful leader and she i met her she, we needed a sponsor for the pfx tour and the, i'll tell you this if you ever have a chance to meet dot um and she wants you to do something somehow in the midst of that conversation you're gonna leave doing it and be thankful to be doing it she just has that <laughs> kind of personality that she's gonna talk you into whatever it is and you're gonna be happy that she did so we we started it and the pfx tour was just that it was a tour and at that time had multiple Olympians that had just came out, Lisa Fernandez, Natasha Watley, Dot, 
Uh, Taryn Mowat just coming out of the UCLA phenomenal season where she had thrown every pitch of every game and led Wildcats to a national championship. And um, just a, a ton of, of great athletes were, were on that on that tour. Garland Cooper, who could hit it as far as anybody. I'm just thinking of those players. But we took we took it on a on a tour. They they took it on a tour. And you went into a, a city and it was with a fast pitch event. And you got to see Olympians, you got to train with them, you got to hit with them. And not only Olympians, but you know, division one, division two athletes. They did a really good job of involving the local colleges when they got there, not just the big schools, but the big school and the JC and the maybe the division two or three. So you, you just had packed parks and, and packed crowds. And I think the tour model works very well for a lot of non-traditional team sports, as we were talking about earlier. You look at NASCAR, you look at the golf, you look at golf, you know, you look at you look at tennis. And I've said this all along is I'm a NASCAR guy as well. But if, if, if I live next to Daytona or Martinsville and it ran every weekend, I don't think we have 200,000 people going to Daytona. But when it's one time a year or there twice a year with the, with the 500 and the 600, you're going to go. It's, a, it's, it's on your calendar. It's something you do both locally, but geographically, if it's your passion, however you go. And when you take those tour models like that and you go into a city, it's the only time they're going to be here. It's packed. And I think it's great for the athlete to see that. So we, we did that for a few years. The MPF was up and building a lot of different things going on. And again, I love, love, you know, the concept of the NPF and the athletes, especially that have, that have, that are there and have been there. And so I got a call from senior one day, Don Dionatus second and said, Hey, I'm talking to the NPF. You know, you, I know you talked about it. What do you want? You have some time to talk. And I said, yeah. So I literally flew down to, took my little commuter flight from Seattle to Orlando that I've taken way too many times. You think by now I'd have moved a little closer to that place. Um, <laughs> we, we flew down in the old office and we sat and talked about what we had seen. And what I'd seen, and he and I had had this conversation multiple times about just being at the park and saying, you know how you think dads look at their sons playing? He's like, yeah, it's awesome. I said, you should go watch how dads and moms look at their daughters playing. And I go, it's a whole different level. And I go, it, you know, um, and so we talked about it. He met with the NPF and we got heavily involved with the, with the NPF then. And obviously, you know, what Don and USSA and the Pride did has done for the NPF. Uh, and women's fast pitch, I think, is second to none. Um, I think what they're doing now, again, kind of taking the pride on a tour model. I, I, you know, from what I see, I'm not involved anymore, but from what I see from afar of them working with USA, um, you know, going to play USA, and I think that's going to go on, especially now with the extension of the of the Olympics being kicked back a year. We're going to see those players, um, you know, tour with each other or play with each other. I just think it's awesome. I think it's awesome that we show – we show that to the athletes, and I, and I think that's where the women's conference is going to see growth. Is we have these we have these athletes, and I and I, you know, my phone's gone off ten times since we've been on this. Um, with at and I think every one of them's been a female athlete so far. That that's why I've been watching the names pop up on my phone. Is that now they're understanding they can start playing in their travel ball age, you know, their young age. Then they're going to transition to slow pitch, and now we're seeing the first ones transition to senior slow pitch, playing forties and fifties, and. Yeah, they love the game, but I think the biggest thing you learn, and, and all of us that have had to leave a sport here or there a long way, is you you hate leaving that fellowship. And so many of these young ladies and guys that are on the travel ball circuit, both men's and women's, you know, youth, 
that's it becomes your family that becomes what you do you travel the goofy games you create outside of the games the parking lot games the behind the rv games you know all of that stuff and th- these these ladies don't want to give it up and then for a long time where the guys got to find another way to go or it was socially acceptable to do something else when high school ended it ended for for so many of these athletes um they were expected to go do something else which was unfair and now they found this and they they're being treated the same and we still have things to get better at for sure um with anything but i I think we're just at the beginning of the of where this is going to go on the slow pitch side for the female athlete um and we've seen that now trickle over to the co-ed side how good that's become um so i think it's a super exciting time um i think anyone that that if you're a manufacturer or a sponsor and you're ignoring this segment it's a big mistake if you're a bat manufacturer keep ignoring it i love it leave it all to easton because we're 100 percent committed to it we're and we're just like we're 100 percent committed to, to the fast pit side so it's really cool I, I i'm excited to see where it goes i wish the season would have already started but i'm looking forward to it when it does and i think what you mentioned the missing your team and missing that camaraderie is where all of us are at right now. I know, yeah. you know, we want to be back out on the field and we miss the game, but I think that's what people are missing the most right now is their teammates and traveling and being able to do those things with, with their, with their family, with their, yeah, their family. family. That's what it is. It's, it's away from the, you know, you, you are family and you, you find unique family through that. And I have my personal family life as a hybrid family that all of us got integrated from, from softball, you know, this is where we all met. I met, you know, my wife at a, at a super draft tournament, you know, um, you know, all, all of those things have happened. You know, I, I think of some people that are outside my, my family that I consider my family, Don Dionatus Jr. You know, Jr. Is, is family to me, always, always will be fa- family to me that we met, you know, we met dog cussing each other on a softball field in Michigan or Ohio as A players, you know, 30 years ago or 25 years ago. And now, you know, I, a day doesn't go by that I wouldn't do anything for him back and forth. And, and you meet that and you and you find that, and, you know, that we all have those those people in our lives that way. And, and the interesting thing through this is thank God for FaceTime and Microsoft chat right. and, and, you <laughs> Zoom, know, and Skype. Zoom. I mean, we, we've had I've seen more of my teammates on Tuesdays and Wednesdays now than I ever did. because We normally fly together because like I just have to talk to somebody. So, right. you know, it, it's therapeutic to have those type of sessions for sure. Well, I got to say thank you so much for taking the time to Skype yeah. in with me today. It's been Absolutely. awesome just as someone who is newer to slow pitch to learn the the history and the family and all the things that go into making great bats to making great teams and the people involved. So thank you so much for joining Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Thank Stay you. Stay safe. Yeah. You we'll too. see you soon. Hopefully, fingers crossed.